to our next edition of the Dan Siegel Show, hosted by yours truly, Dan Siegel ACC Content. So we have our men's basketball national champion, the Kansas Jayhawks, who beat North Carolina last night as I record. I'm recording this Tuesday night, and they beat North Carolina. We also had a big game with North Carolina beating Duke in the Final Four. We will talk about both of those things with our first guest, Ben Wheland, who is a writer for Shot Quality. We had Simon on a couple episodes ago. We'll have Ben on as well. Simon's the owner of the company, and Ben is a writer for him. And then we're going to do some tournament superlatives and awards with Ariel Portman from College Basketball Review, CBB Review. And that will be what will make up today's episode. But before we do that... We're always going to have a top five with just me. And today's top five is going to be the top five moments of the men's tournament. Now, there were no buzzer beaters this year, which is a little bit disappointing, but there was plenty of storylines, plenty of big moments. So let's start with number five on our top five moments in this NCAA men's tournament. Audis Tony. Seals the win versus Gonzaga. Yep, that same Audis Tony Pitt fans, the one that used to play in the ACC. Gonzaga, you know, they had been ranked number one a majority of the season. Same thing as last year. Last year they were undefeated until they got torched by Baylor in the championship game. But Gonzaga comes back, brings back a very, very good roster. Ranked number one again, number one overall seed. They... Get to the Sweet 16, and they are in trouble against Arkansas. And they are down 70-65. to 65. 15 seconds are left and counting. Andrew Nemart for Gonzaga dribbles coast-to-coast. Coast, seemingly has an open layup. Comes off of a nice Drew Timmy screen in the process. But what does Audis Tony do? He comes from the back to swat it against the backboard. Covered a lot of ground, seemingly came out of nowhere. And Audis Tony was not the most reliable scorer during the tournament, but played great defense. That was a huge play. As you guys know, Arkansas lost in the next round to Duke, 78-69 to in the Elite Eight. Let's move on to number four. Drew Timmy delivers a hilarious interview. So another story about Gonzaga. This is actually one round earlier where Gonzaga played Memphis, and they squeak out a hard-earned comeback victory. Drew Timmy had 25 points and 14 rebounds, a big game for him, so he's interviewed after the game. And listen to this clip from his post-game interview. All right, Drew, I heard you in the hallway motivate this team. What did you say in that locker room? I said, I don't give a flying F what happens. What happens at the end of the game? Whether we lose or win, we're not going out as no uh, soft guys. Leave it all on the floor because it could be your last 20. And, hey, man, if you go all out and we still lose, live with, play with no regrets. And uh, we took that to heart. And, uh, you know, we came out with the win, fortunately. But I mean, that's just hilarious. I know, I know Gonzaga disappointed again, but just that is a gem from this tournament. Drew Timmy playing... PG and making sure not to say anything on TV, but the message was clearly across. I mean, that's just really, really funny content. So only in March, only in the tournament. Glad we get that stuff. Let's move on to number three. 
Happy St. Peter's Day. St. Peter's, like we've talked about in the last two episodes, they were definitely the fans' favorite story of the tournament, and they were the first ever 15 seed to go to the Elite Eight, where they eventually lost to the ACC's own North Carolina Tar Heels. But how about their first win over Kentucky? Took place on St. Patrick's Day, but Iron Eagle renamed it St. Peter's Day after they won in overtime 85-79. to Great game, incredible pace. Daryl Banks, 27 points. Doug Edert had 20 points. Doug was definitely the darling of the media in the tournament. And Kentucky, this was the interesting thing. This was the big storyline. Why are we talking about this game, the 15 over the 2, rather than just everything in general? Well, I think Kentucky was their biggest win and their most notable win because Kentucky had 11.7 times the budget and almost 7 times the arena capacity. So, while we've had games with, a a few games, a handful of games with equal upsets in terms of point spreads, maybe another point or two in favor of the favored team, just in terms of that storyline, could be argued as the biggest upset of all time. Number two. UNC spoils the Coach K media story once again. Potentially... The most hyped Final Four game of all time, Duke versus North Carolina, biggest rivalry in sports, in my opinion. And the game lived up to all the hype. Very exciting. Caleb Love hits a dagger three with 28 seconds left. Caleb Love actually started the game 0 for 5, ended up with 28 points. And UNC advances to the national championship. I'm going to talk about this a lot on the next segment with Ben, so I'm not going to completely recap this entire game but just huge for UNC because they spoiled their regular season the last regular season game in Cameron or the last game for Coach K in Cameron Indoor and then they spoil Coach K's last game period so great stuff if you're a Tar Heel they came up one game short but still overall lots of positive takeaways for the season and now our number one storyline our top moment from this NCAA men's tournament. Kansas is your 2022 national champion. Beat North Carolina 72-69 in another thriller of a game. Kansas did not have one dominant scorer in this game, but five guys in double figures for the Jayhawks. Double doubles for both Christian Braun and David McCormick. This is the program's fourth national championship for Kansas, 1952, 1988, 2008, and now 2022. And Bill Self Self joins just 15 other coaches ever to have won multiple national championships. There are just three active coaches to have won multiple national championships. That is Bill Self, Jay Wright, and Rick Patino. So we'll talk about that a lot more this entire Final Four weekend. So a little bit of the Kansas-Villanova game, a lot of the Duke-UNC game, and of course mostly the National Championship game. We'll talk about that all with Ben Wheeland. I'm sure he has plenty of insight. Ben Wheeland from Shot Quality, going to bring him on. Here we go. 
So Ben Whelan from Shot Quality is now on the show. Ben, champ, uh, championship is over. March Madness is over. College basketball season is over. It was really a great one. Are you kind of winding down a little bit now? Like, how are you feeling? Yeah, it's a uh, adrenaline high that you're coming down from. You know, um, last night we were all watching the game together in the common room uh, in the dorm where I'm living, and I, the energy of college basketball—it's really unrivaled by any other sport especially March Madness and it's going to be rough for however many months it's going to be before college basketball starts up again Uh, we got the NBA playoffs to tide us over a little bit but that's not the same you and I both know that Um, so it was good that we got to go out on a high note though for sure yeah those games were definitely very good we'll start with so recap the entire championship weekend so let's start just a little bit with Kansas Villanova our first final four game it was the battle of the two of the three coaches, like I just mentioned before you came on, two of the three coaches actively coaching with multiple national championships, or at least now with Bill Self getting a second. No mm-hmm. Justin Moore did hurt Villanova. He, they were missing a score, but I thought it was more about the defense than anything. Kansas shot over 50% from three. David McCormick had 25 points on twelve of 10 of 12 field goals, just one turnover for him. It was really about the fact that Villanova was not able to make stops. Usually they're able to, despite their lack of size, be able to kind of have that no middle defense and stop the big, bigger players like McCormick from dominating. But that just didn't happen this game. Yeah. And that's something we'd seen from Villanova throughout the tournament was really forcing opponents to take the shots that Villanova wanted them to take. And that was just not the case in this game. Uh, it was always going to be an uphill battle for Villanova against Kansas without Justin Moore adapting on the fly. Um, and I was optimistic going into the game just because I trusted, um, obviously, Jay Wright as a coach, uh, the veterans on Villanova. And their defense had been so solid the whole tournament. But then KU just came out the gate, blitzed them with, what, 10-0 run in the first two and a half minutes of the game. And, you know, they never really looked back. Uh, KU was getting the shots they wanted all game. Even when Villanova cut it to six in the second half, you weren't really worried that they were going to be able to actually pull off the comeback. Things were just too easy for the Jayhawks offensively, I thought. And obviously they took that into the championship game and were pretty good offensively against North Carolina. And that Kansas-Villanova game was really just the appetizer for the game everyone anticipated, obviously, Myself being an ACC guy in an ACC podcast, and that was Duke against North Carolina. So UNC obviously wins. Just recap that a little bit. Coach K ends his last game in Cameron Indoor with a loss to UNC. His last Final Four and overall game, a loss to UNC. Are we ruling out uh, Tom Brady uh, here? You don't think Coach K is going to come back for one last dance? That would be... (laughs) Yeah, I've actually heard that, and I don't know if there's any truth to that. We can maybe ponder that over the next couple weeks, but let's just assume for the sake of the podcast, for the sake of this storyline, that Coach K has coached his last game. I mean, that's just crazy how UNC just got the best of them, and I think the only reason UNC fans aren't at their ultimate high right now, they didn't win the national championship, but in terms of the rivalry... They definitely, yeah. they won, quote-unquote, won the rivalry just because there might not ever be a game in this stage. Mm-hmm. And I know you, you can't call the rivalry over, I don't think, just because of how evenly matched these two teams have been historically. But this is undoubtedly the biggest game these two teams have ever played and probably 
frankly, will ever play because everything coming together in the final four, Coach K's final game, it's near impossible to recreate a moment like that. And for UNC to send Coach K packing in a game that really lived up to expectations too. It wasn't like Duke came out and laid an egg. Um, they were trading punches the whole game. A crazy amount of lead changes. The biggest lead for either team was seven points. And really just when it came down to the end of the game, Caleb Love was making shots and Duke couldn't do that. Yeah, he was really clutching up. Not the most efficient thing from a statistical standpoint. We were actually bantering back and forth on Twitter because you write for shot quality and shot quality is actually mm-hmm. not a big fan of Caleb Love. I remember having Simon on. No, they on. are not. Yeah, I remember having Simon <laughs> on maybe a year ago and we were definitely railing on Caleb Love a little bit. But 28 points, you said it. He takes the tough shots because nobody else will. And it might not look good on his shot quality score because he's taking bad shots, but if you're late in the shot clock and somebody needs to shoot it, Caleb Love is your guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you win some, you lose some when you play like that, like you saw it in the national championship game. Not to jump ahead, but Caleb Love took a very tough three when they were down three at the end of the game for about 30 feet out. Didn't make it. UMC ends up losing. And those are the shots you have to live with with a guy like Caleb Love because, as you mentioned, like he is not a traditionally particularly efficient player. I haven't pulled up right now. And for the Duke-UNC game, we actually had him expected to score just 19 points. Obviously, he ends up with 28. Um, And the trade-off with that is that he can get a shot anytime he wants it. Uh, he can shoot off the dribble. He can shoot step backs. He can get to the rim. And when he's on, there's just about no one in the country who can guard him. It's He's really just a very interesting player. And if he comes back, it's going to be really fun to keep talking about him in the offseason. If not, we'll talk about him as an NBA draft prospect because he's really interesting. But just to move to talk more about this Duke-North Carolina game, of all the people to have missed those two clutch free throws, Mark Williams was not one that I expected. He's just a player that knows his role. He doesn't have – he's not the superstar in the team, but he has a big role. He's a role player, and he does his role better than anybody. And he was just put in the spotlight and basically just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And you, you feel bad for a guy like that who's been so dependable all season long. And – you can't chalk it up to him being a bad player or letting his team down, really. There's plenty of stuff Duke could have done to win that game. But at the same time, uh, to go 0 for 2 from the free throw line in such a clutch moment, then I think he missed a few more there at the very end. Uh, it was a weird game for him all around, I thought. He got in foul trouble early, played just 17 minutes. Definitely not what Duke was expecting because they had to go small with Theo John, and they looked very surprised when they had to do that. Um, but... I mean, 12 from 20 from the free throw line for Duke, that's 60%. That really might have been the difference in a game that was so close all the way down the stretch as Carolina hit their free throws and Duke just couldn't. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, you you could probably tell me the stats on this or the statistical reasoning for this, but I feel like free throws are just more important in the tournament than any other time, just in clutch situations, free throws are the one time in college basketball or in any basketball game where you're not just doing. Like, you have to completely think about what mm-hmm. you're doing. It's a very unique situation. And just free throws are fluky, like they're binary outcomes. So you either make it or you miss mm-hmm. it. It's hard to predict. But it's just, it has decided so many tournament games over the years. 
Mm -hmm. And that's something that really, you know, is something that championship level teams do uh, and teams that lose don't. And you can chalk it up to randomness, which I think is probably the statistical explanation, or you can say, okay, this dude might be a 70 or 80% free throw shooter, but when the entire stadium's chanting your name, you're tired, or there are a bunch, bunch of people booing you and trying to get you to miss this free throw, and there's so much pressure on you, I mean, that's fundamentally different than shooting a free throw up 30 in a non-conference game in November. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sometimes it's just as simple as winning teams make their free throws, losing teams miss, and that's what happened to Duke. All right, let's get to this national championship game because every game has a storyline. Every national championship will be known for something, and this one in specific will be known for the biggest comeback happening in tournament history. I believe Kansas mm -hmm. was down 16 at some point. Ben, for this championship game, where does this rank among the recent championship games? So the ones that you have watched and been able to watch with the same mindset that you had like right now. So I'm not talking about like, games when you were like two years old or games that you were <laughs> like before you were born, but the games that you've watched completely, where does this rank? You know, this one is definitely up there. And I think historically, sometimes we've had tournaments where it's been a great tournament all the way through and you get kind of a letdown in the championship game. I think you could almost say that about last year where that UCLA Gonzaga game was so incredible game of the tournament. And then the championship game just wasn't that close. This that was not the case this year. I think, as far as games in recent memory, that Villanova-UNC game has to be number one. Um, yeah. Because that Chris Jenkins shot, there's nothing can rival that in college basketball in my memory. And then number two, obviously, is the Virginia Cavalier. Um, excellent game against Texas Tech for the championship. Went into overtime, pulled off, last-second comeback, clutched DeAndre Hunter three. And my who's got a national title. So I'd put that one number two, probably. And then I think this one slots in third, you know, it was an incredible game back and forth. Uh, biggest comeback ever. Um, as you mentioned, uh, how about you? Where do you rank it? Yeah, honestly, I agree with your top three. I think maybe I would switch two and three, but then I just tell myself I'm probably having recency bias because this game just happened and UVA's happened three years ago. Crazy. That's been that long, mm -hmm. but I would say definitely those are my top three, and definitely Villanova was number one. Number two and three mm -hmm. could be argued about the order, but over the last 10 years, that's what I'd say. And then, Yeah, absolutely. And then talking about this game, we had – I mean, what storyline do you want to get to first? Do you want to talk about these injuries because it was very strange with UNC? First, we had Puff Johnson coming off the bench with 11 huge points, but then he couldn't play – most of down the stretch, most of the last five, seven minutes of the game, because of some nausea, I don't think it was lack of conditioning or anything. I think he actually got hit in the stomach or something like that. I highly <laughs> doubt it was because of lack of conditioning, even if he hasn't played that many minutes this year. But then Caleb Love, he was cre clearly affected by his ankle, and I think his move, his lateral movement, his athleticism just wasn't the same. And then we had Baycott, Armando Baycott, tripping over a loose floorboard and mm -hmm. that took him out of the game for good in the final minute. And what do they do in the next play? They attack Brady Manick, who's guarding David McCormick, and it's a three-point game that ended up being the sealing the deal. So what do we make? Like, I feel like that's a big storyline is these UNC injuries. And obviously we can play the if game all day, but it's definitely something worth noting. 
Mm -hmm. I think the hypothetical where Armando Bacot doesn't step on that floorboard and roll his ankle again and have to exit for the final minutes of the game is something that a lot of UNC fans are going to be wondering about for a while. But just in the larger picture, this UNC team has gone at most seven guys deep this entire tournament run long. And to have so many guys still out there playing through injuries, I mean, we knew um, Baycott, obviously, with the ankle injury last game. And then I think Caleb Love might have already been playing through his ankle injury as well, coming in and just gutting it out. Um, it's very unfortunate. You never want to see injuries be potentially the reason a game is decided. But I look more at the way that this UNC team just absolutely gutted it out for six games in this tournament run. That's actually a good point, and it's a good way of looking at it because if you're not going to have a deep rotation at the same time, then that's what's going to happen. Injuries are much more likely. You, so to a certain extent, UNC gets unlucky because of these injuries, but it's also a it's also a product of them not having the deepest rotation. So I'm glad you pointed that out because that's actually mm-hmm. a, a good point and maybe a, another way of looking at it. But um, I, I think the last thing I wanted to talk about is actually on the Kansas side of things because Bill Self, like I said a couple times now, he's an elite company. 16 coaches ever have had multiple national titles. Only Rick Pitino and Jay Wright ha- are joining him with active coaches with multiple national titles. If we're going to rank the active coaches, what's your like top three, top four? Personally, I've got Jay Wright, Bill Self himself, and then... Uh, a lot of people could be number three, but do you agree with my top two? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think you have to go with Jay Wright and uh, obviously Bill Self up there because, I mean, the resume speaks for, the, for itself. And you just can't sleep on those guys and what they've been able to do and build a consistent program. At number three, that slot is where it gets interesting, in my opinion. That's one that's obviously very open for debate. Obviously, being from Virginia, I'll take this moment to plug my boy Tony Bennett um, for doing more with I think less talented rosters than most coaches do and he's one national championship away from joining that list we'll see how close Virginia is to winning another national championship and then another dude I wanted to shout out who I think might be a bit of a dark horse for that third spot is Keldon Sampson uh, Houston that's another guy who I just watch and I feel like he gets the absolute most out of his players um, obviously as you said there are Tons and tons of great contenders. Mark Few has to be up there. Yep. Um, like it, you could really make a case for five or six guys. I think. Yes, but. yes. Because I had, I definitely, I'd write then self, and then for my contenders for the third spot, I had first Samson, Few, and Bennett, and then I had Patino. I think he still belongs just because of what he's done in the past. I don't think he's going to win another national title with Iona, but he's still a phenomenal coach. He's just mm-hmm. not – he doesn't have the resources, obviously. And then, I mean, what Scott Drew has done with Baylor. Mm, absolutely. Not That's only another with, dude in that Keldon yeah. Sampson van who just gets everything out of his guys. Because they won the title last year, and then they come back completely losing their roster and are another one seed. And just the fact that he got his first national title, I mean, that, that was just an insane rebuild from the last – what was – the situation of the Baylor program five to six years ago. So Mm -hmm. the point is, I think with this national championship though, Bill self has definitely elevated himself to the two spot. And then 
there's an argument for three rather than it being what I said before. It was just Jay Wright and then maybe a big argument for number two. So mm-hmm. I'm with you there. Yeah. Anything else before we head off for the night, Ben? Um, while we're on the national championship game, I would just shout out Armando Baycott. We talked about him earlier. Uh, just an absolutely insane tournament from him. Uh, 21 rebounds in the championship game. UNC yeah. ended up out-rebounding KU by 20, had 24 offensive rebounds to KU's eight. That dude works harder than any basketball player I have seen in a while at center. He killed UVA both times we played him this year, and the effort he gave on that rolled ankle was outstanding. That's a dude who I hope gets some recognition going forward. Yeah, for sure. I I remember that picture of him. I'm always going to remember this when he clearly (laughs) completely screws up his ankle in the final minutes, but he doesn't just lie on the ground because his team needs him. So he tries to hobble all the way down the court until Mm -hmm. finally they stop play. And that's just a picture I'm always going to remember. That's just somebody, just a warrior fighting for his team to win a championship. Obviously, they came up a little bit short. But Ben, thank you so much. We'll have you on again, of course. And enjoy the spring sports that we got coming up. You know, baseball, UVA's got a good baseball team. So Yeah, we do. Yeah, so enjoy it. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Yeah, thank you. So thank you once again to Ben. That is going to put a wrap on our analysis and recap portion of this year's men's tournament. I just wanted to do something fun for our last segment, recapping it, and just do some tournament awards and superlatives. So Ariel and I are going to hop on. We've got 10 awards, and we'll each give our picks for these 10 awards slash superlatives. Before we get to that, though, I'd like to just shout out our sponsor for today's episode, And that is Roots Natural Kitchen. Roots Natural Kitchen is a fast, casual restaurant serving great-tasting, natural, and affordable salads and grain bowls. They strive to make natural food as accessible as possible through a fun in-store environment as well as their app and delivery partners. They also focus on making natural choices easily available for kids with their Kids Eat Free policy where all kids under 12 eat free all day, every day with the purchase of an adult meal. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Roots Natural Kitchen, for their support. And now we're going to bring on Ariel Portman from CBB Review to do some tournament superlatives and awards. So we are now joined by Ariel Puderman from CBB Review, our own company there. Ariel, I know you are a Kansas fan, so... First off, congratulations, my man. Thank you. Uh, it's been a crazy 24 hours being in Lawrence, um, going to the University of Kansas. It's pretty unreal. I'm so happy to be a Jayhawk the last 24 hours and all four years that I've been at school, but especially the last 24 hours. So this is your senior year and the cherry on the top, I guess? Absolutely. The last yeah. game I'll ever be in Lawrence for as a student is a winner so what more can i ask for that is amazing that is amazing um we're gonna do some tournament superlatives and awards like i've said just to end off this tournament the recap of this tournament on a fun note before we head into the long off season so number one first award we are going to start with our mvp award obviously the most prominent award and how we're going to do this is we're going to go back and forth but each of us are going to say a different answer just so we don't get repetitive. So, like, just just to mix it up a little bit. So, 
Um, we'll switch off who goes first. You'll go first for number one. Most valuable player in the 2022 NCAA men's tournament. Who are you going with? I'm going to go with Armando Baycott. I mean, he was just unbelievable all tournament, pulling down rebounds, dominating the post. Um, you can argue he was the biggest reason why UNC was able to pull off that run. And if you have to give that award, it's got to go to Baycott. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with... So I was actually going to go either way, whatever you said. I was going to go with David McCormick from Kansas. And it was tough because I feel like an MVP award has to go to the team that wins it all. And the thing about Kansas is they were so balanced. Like they didn't have one guy that really stood out all six games. But I felt like McCormick was just that X factor. And in the final three games, he had 15 points, 25 points, 15 points. Played great defense. Best player in the championship, in my opinion. And... That's where I'm going to go give it to McCormick. I do see Love as maybe like in a pure performance standpoint standpoint being the best, but I got to go with McCormick just because he's the most important player from the team that won it all. So that's what I'm going to go with. And then uh, our second award is going to be the defensive MVP. I'll go first for this one. I'm going to go with another North Carolina Tar Heel. I'm going with Leaky Black. He just contained those star players from the wing the entire tournament as he did during the regular season. He got UNC to where they were defensively. And Juzang and Haquez for UCLA, they were both stifled. Guarded A.J. Griffin in the Duke game. Griffin held to five points, and he's a lights-out shooter. We know that. So I'm going Leaky Black for defensive MVP. I'm going to take a similar route to you. Someone who on the uh, score sheet might not look like the best player on, on the team, the most impactful, but anyone who watches the game really knows that, and that's Dewan Harris, the point guard from Kansas. It's really underrated how good of a defender is. I mean, he absolutely shut down Caleb Love last game. The guy who was scoring 20 points like it was the easiest thing in the world. Um, he did a great job on Gillespie. It's a lot. Let him take over that game. Um, and he just does such a good job on the ball, and he really eliminates – whatever team's best guard is. Um, and that's a big reason why they're able to win today. We saw um, Caleb Love single-handedly take down UCLA in that second half and did pretty much the same against Duke. And when Kansas went on that run in the second half, Caleb Love wasn't able to respond because Dewan did such a good job on him. All right, for our third award, we are going to go with who is the coach, the best coach of this tournament? I think this is a no-brainer. It's got to be Shaheen Holloway. I mean... No one could have expected the 15-seed St. Peter's. I bet 99.9% of America didn't even know that was a school. And now everyone knows because of his excellent coaching. They didn't have that star player like Oral Roberts with Max A. Smith and Kevin O'Banner. They didn't have the hype around them. They didn't have easy matchups. They had to play Kentucky and Purdue, two of the best offensive and most dominant teams in the country. But Shaheen Hallway had a game plan. He knew how to make adjustments and obviously got rewarded taking that scene hall coach coaching position but it's got to be him yeah definitely qualified for a job there that was my first choice as well like he's he's the best with x's and o's he's a great motivator he can make in-game adjustments he knows how to manage the game like he just has the complete package for a coach the sets that they run are just incredible so my first choice was shaheen holloway but like i said we're going to be we're going to give different answers so my second choice was hubert davis for north carolina so I guess we're going very Tar Heel heavy, but they were the farthest finishing team in the ACC, so that's fine by me. Um, Hubert Davis just 
First-year coach got a lot of criticism halfway through the season and turned them around. It seemed like night and day and between first half of the season Tar Heels versus second half of the season Tar Heels. You have to attribute that to coaching, making it to the national championship as an eight seed. And in his first year, so he hasn't really had any kind of time to settle in as a head coach. He just goes out and makes the national championship right away. So Hubert Davis for my coach of the tourney behind Shaheen Holloway. Uh, Our fourth one is going to be the best game of the tournament. This one was tough because we didn't have, like when I recapped the top five moments earlier in this episode, we didn't have a buzzer beater this entire tournament. But the closest we got to one, or I guess one of two times, I went with the first round, four versus 13, Chattanooga versus Illinois. No buzzer beaters, but Chattanooga, Malachi Smith, one of the leading scorers in the country, just misses that final shot. That would have been your one of your signature buzzer beater upsets, but just didn't happen. Overall, though, good game, close, exciting, and scary for me who had Illinois going pretty far. Yeah, I'm going to keep on that UNC trend and go with that Baylor-UNC game. I mean, that game really had it all ahead. Blowouts, comebacks, players getting ejected, crazy shots. It really had it all. It was an unbelievable game. That whole game, you really didn't know what was going to happen. Obviously, people can say the officiating was bad, but you can't deny the fact that you were on the edge of your seat the whole game, especially while Baylor kept chipping away. Um, That missed buzzer beater by R.J. Davis. Um, to send it into overtime, Scott Drew's reaction, and then just the end of that game, Leaky Black's crazy shot, not even shot, just pass off the backboard that just backfired. It was just unbelievable. That's what March is about. I, I really love that game. How about our best conference showing? I hope you make me happy with this one. Dan, I am going to make you happy. I'm going to go with the ACC conference. I was pretty low on uh, the ACC all throughout the year. I mean, Duke was really the only good team. I was super long Carolina, who obviously proved me wrong. Um, they really picked up at the end of the year. But then look at them, two final four teams, which is unbelievable. Um, I'd say pretty much every team overperformed or played exactly how they were expected to. So credit to the ACC. They had a down year, but they still ended up being the best conference. Yeah, in the tournament, definitely. And I obviously was going to go with the ACC, but since you took them, I'll go with the Big 12. Every team of the – they had high expectations as a conference, but they actually met those high expectations unlike other power conferences. Every team of their six made it out of the first round. One of their teams won the championship, so kind of hard to go wrong with the Big 12. Obviously, the ACC had the best showing, but Big 12 is definitely second. And then the next superlative will be our worst conference showing, and that's going to be the Big 10 for me. They had nine teams. None of them made it out of the Sweet 16. Three first-round losses, including Rutgers, who didn't even make the first round. They lost their playing game to an ACC team in Notre Dame. So ACC going up, Big Ten going down. That's my best and worst conference showing. Yeah, I like that Big Ten answer. I'm going to give a different answer than you. I'm going to give the SEC. After the end of the season, a lot of people thought this might be the best conference. They might have beat up the Big 12. They won the SEC Big 12 tournament, and there was three teams that people really thought could be champions or at least make the Final Four. Those were Kentucky, Auburn, and Tennessee. Kentucky lost in the first round, Auburn second round, Tennessee second round. So it was obviously a huge disappointment. Obviously, Arkansas did um, pretty well. And then you got LSU getting bounced in the first round as a six seed. So the SEC had a lot of expectations, and they just really disappointed. 
And then for our seventh, how about the best sidekick? Well, uh, UNC fans, you must love this podcast because I'm going to go with Mr. Caleb Love. I mean, he easily could have been one of the best players on probably the best player on any team in March, the way he played. But he was stuck as that second best guy because Baycott was so good himself. Um, whenever Baycott was struggling, Love would make the big shot other way around. So it was a perfect Batman-Robin pairing, and Caleb Love was really special. See, I think the definition of a sidekick is when there's a clear number one best player and then you're the clear number two best player. So, like, I think there's some sort of debate between Love and Baycott. And last year was very easy, right? It would have been Aismas and O'Banner. But this year there wasn't really that much of the teams that made their significant runs. But I'm going with Jalen Williams from Arkansas. The clear star player is JT Note, but... Williams had double doubles in each game and was a definitely a significant second best player. So that's who I'm going with for my best sidekick. Our number eight award, we're going to go with the best day of the tournament. So we did our best games earlier, but the best overall day for me is going to be that Friday of Sweet 16 weekend. Friday, March 25th. The games were St. Peter's Purdue. Great game. Kansas-Providence, another close game. UNC-UCLA, a close game between two Blue Bloods. And then the last one, Miami-Iowa State. Not a bad game because we saw Cam Augusti put on a show. But if that's your worst game of the day, that's a pretty good day for me. So Friday the 25th for my best day of the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'm going to go with just the first day of the whole tournament, the first day of round of 64. Um, there's just nothing better than that first day. Um, you turn on the TV and you hear that CBS. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously the big game was the Kentucky St. Peter's game, but just that first day is just awesome. And there was a lot of great games. Um, and just, that's how you know what March has begun. And that for me, even if the games are bad that day, it's just that first day is always the one. Fair enough. Can't argue with that. Um, how about our biggest disappointment? We did our worst conference showing, but as a team, who's your biggest disappointment? Uh, it's got to be Gonzaga. I mean, every year everyone thinks, is this the year? Is this the year? They have the talent every year, but they just can never seem to win it all. And then this year they're the number one overall seed, and then they lose to Arkansas. I mean, no disrespect to Arkansas, but this was a Gonzaga team that had the potential to win it all. And you lose in the Elite Eight, that's just unacceptable. Or sorry, you lose before the Final Four, that's just unacceptable. Um, so I think that's a huge disappointment. Um, you can argue some of the teams I lost earlier, but when you're a team like Gonzaga, who people are really counting on you to finally push that barrier and win that championship, you don't even make the Final Four. Uh, that just has to be a huge disappointment for your program. Yep, that uh, it was sw- Sweet 16 loss. Yeah, Sweet 16 loss to Arkansas that – ended Gonzaga's season. Once again, Mark Few does not get a national championship. For my biggest disappointment, I'm going to go with Kentucky. Very much up there with Gonzaga, just a blue blood, high expectations. There was like a month of the season where everybody was saying, look at Kentucky coming along. They're my national championship favorite. Look at how well-rounded they are, all the star talent they have, how good they are in both ends. And they lose in the first round to a school, like you said, nobody's heard of. Obviously, St. Peter's made that big run, but when your budget is 
one fourteenth of the size of another team's budget, you have no business winning that game. So as much as we love to give credit to St. Peter's and they deserve it, we also have to give blame to Kentucky for losing that. Um, our last superlative will be the best non-basketball story slash moment surrounding this tournament. And for me, I have the cheerleader for Indiana saving the day. It was in the Indiana St. Mary's game. The ball gets stuck on the top of the backboard. And for two minutes, I think it was over two full minutes of the video, everybody was trying to get it down. We had refs standing on a chair using a mop to try to retrieve the ball. We had all these kinds of things. And then an Indiana cheerleader has an idea. So she does a stunt standing on top of another cheerleader, easily retrieves the ball, and the game can continue. Yeah, I actually had that as mine as well. But I'm going to go with the man himself, Doug Eddard, Doug Eater. I don't know how to say his name, but he really captured America's heart, um, making those big-time shots, the little mustache he got going. I mean, he was America's sweetheart, and really no one expected someone like Doug Eddard to really be anything. And now everyone knows his name. He's got NIL deals, and obviously St. Peter's success attested to that. But just a guy like that, some guy who looks like me and you, just falling out of March Madness. That that's what March Madness is all about. <laughs> yep, one hundred percent. And he's now in the transfer portal. A lot of fan bases want to see his name because that'll draw a lot of attention to them. And obviously, he's a heck of a player. So great stuff there, Ariel. Appreciate you. And like I said, congratulations to your Jayhawks on winning the national championship. There's no better feeling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So thank you so much to Ben and Ariel, and thank you so much to you guys for your support and helping make this just another fun and another successful NCAA tournament, March Madness. So appreciate you guys. Appreciate you, Ben and Ariel, for joining the show. But that's going to do it for today. We are going to continue next Sunday on our normal schedule. So Sunday night's recording, Monday night, Monday morning release. Thank you for your continued support of our content here at Pipeline. Be sure to follow me at Dan Siegel ACC Content on Twitter and subscribe to our show. Maybe even leave us a five-star review if you're feeling generous. Once again, this is Dan Siegel signing off.